This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. I'm Scott Greenberg, your host. And today I am thrilled to welcome Robert Eden. He is a biodynamic winemaker and co-proprietor of Chateau Maris. Now that's located in the Languedoc region in the south of France. He hails from a celebrated British aristocratic family, including a governor of India, minister of industry, and a prime minister of Great Britain. But more on that later. He left England to travel the world and permanently settled down with his family back in France in 1994. Since 1997, he's happily pursued organic and biodynamic viticulture at Chateau Maris. He's dedicated to the protection of the environment. He even built the first hemp cellar that passively consumes CO2, and we are definitely going to touch on that. He regularly presents on the advantages of biodynamic viticulture and the importance of taking steps to reduce the impact on the environment in the wine industry. He is to be applauded for that. Sir Robert Eden, what a pleasure to have you in the studio with us today. Thank you for coming all this way. Thank you very much. Right. Cross the pond. All that. Yeah. Lovely. So I touched a little bit about this, you know, aristocratic family heritage of yours. Just tell me a little bit about your background. Well, yes, uh, you're right. Effectively, I was brought up in a very political family. My father was a politician from a very early age. And so as children, we were always surrounded by politics. And especially when he was minister, there was a lot of politics going on, even at weekends when his fellow colleagues would come and have lunches with him at his house. And so we were surrounded by that, uh, certainly, as, as, as part of our family history. Was wine ever involved in those lunches? Oh, very much so, <laughs> all the time. In fact, it, it was very good. I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me. And um, I was, as the elder brother, allowed uh, to choose the wine for Sunday lunch with my father before going to church. So we'd go down into the cellar, and this would be about sort of ten fifteen in the morning. And we'd go down into the cellar and choose what was then Bordeaux. Um, and then we'd have to come back up and open up the bottle so it would be allowed to breathe whilst we were at church. And when we opened up the bottle, we always had to try it just to check that the bottle wasn't off. So at the tender age of 12, I was trying wines at 10.30 on Sunday morning, which I really enjoyed, and especially as my brother wasn't allowed. So that was really my first introduction to wine. Lovely. I mean, so, you know, you got a church with a little bit of buzz on at 12. It's oh, absolutely. That's why, that's why I got confirmed quickly so I could take communion. <laughs> now, when, when you would come back from church and you would have these, obviously, these, I imagine, highbrow meetings. Were you ever allowed to partake in the wines at that young age or did you kind of wait a little bit? No, yeah, not, not, not at the table, no. Uh, it was just a, the tiny little taste before uh, the thimbleful. Uh, before church. But no, at the table, we were too young to drink. But you learned, obviously. Yeah, yeah. No, I showed a great deal of interest in it, once again, because my younger brother wasn't allowed to. So I showed a lot of interest to sort of keep that position vis-a-vis him. And then my father actually gave me um, Hugh Johnson's World Wine Atlas, which is a a, a wonderful book, which is now uh, written by uh, and updated by Jancis Robinson. And it, it really is a great book. You sort of travel the world with wonderful maps, wonderful labels, wonderful photographs, and, and these stories about these great regions. So I was very interested in, in that. And, and then also for, for Christmas, my father would give me a small little envelope, and my brother would get these huge, great parcels. And I sort of was rather jealous of that. But my envelope would say, you know, there's 12 bottles of Chateau Mouton Rothschild lying for you at Berry Brothers and Rudd in London. 
and so I had to get into understanding exactly what he'd given me, and so I'd read up at it, read up about it, and uh, yeah. It, it just continued wow. to, to to intrigue me, the wine. I assume that this was probably before you were of age or of oh. majority, I guess, as you would oh, say, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. England? Absolutely. No, no. I was, I was 14, 15, 16. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and now, I mean, are any of those bottles left? Just out of curiosity. I'm just, um, a little bit. I mean, what a wonderful homage yeah, to your father. Some of them are left in some ways in, in, in the fact that they've been exchanged for newer ones, which are now getting older. But... but right. uh, you know, we're talking about wines which are which were from the seventies at the time, and and to be quite frank, I don't have many of those left now. Right. Now, as I understand it, you left Great Britain and uh, headed south, very far south, to Australia. It, yes, that's right. Right. So, um, what prompted that? I needed to. How uh, should we say that politely? I needed to travel. I needed. Right. I wanted to go and to see the world. And I wanted to somehow work in wine, and the easiest place to start was in Australia because they spoke English and they they made wine, and it was it was just starting. So it was an exciting for for us. The Australian wine industry was really just developing, so it was a very interesting period to go and discover Australian wine. This was early nineteen eighties. And where did you end up? Ended up at the Rothbury Estate in the Hunter Valley, um, working for a great chap called Len Evans, who was a real pioneer at that stage, and. Yeah, very, very exciting time. And for those of us who aren't completely familiar with Australia, where where is Hunter Valley? Hunter Valley is just north of Sydney. Just north of Sydney. Yeah, so, yeah. okay, so uh, not north. not in South Australia. No. Which is, you know, most people, I think, yeah. know South Australia. This yeah. is north of Sydney. Yeah. What were they growing there? The classic varieties, you know, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc, all the main varieties. But it was it, it was the new Australian world. It was the new world of wine. Did you stay there or, or did you travel around Australia at all? Or was there any other places that you kind of piqued your interest in wine? Oh, yeah. I did go to the Barossa Valley as well and to the McLaren Vale. And it was, it was really just that, that was my first real job in the wine industry was in those regions was actually pruning vines. And it's a very interesting way to mm. learn about the wine industry, to mm. learn about how wine is made is you actually prune the vine. Well, right. Because, well, wine starts in the vineyard. I think one of the, and I say this a lot on this podcast, I do, but it's farming. Yeah. Wine is farming. It's agriculture. So you, you can't make great wine with bad grapes. Correct. It's, it's fruit farming. Right. Uh, and, and it's like you, whatever you make out of fruit, you know, even if you're, some people listening may make their own jams at, at home uh, from, from their strawberries from their garden, you know, they've got to be, first and foremost, they've got to be a strawberry farmer um, before they can be a jam maker. There's got to be good strawberries. Absolutely. <laughs> so, how long were you in the field before you kind of migrated more into the cellar? I followed the, uh, I followed the seasons um, into the cellar. So, um, you know, when, when, when we actually harvested, obviously, I was spending a bit of time in the field, but like, very quickly into the cellar, spending like the period after harvest right the way through to the, the, the sort of mid-pruning season in the cellar. So part of the year was outside and part of the year was inside. Do you remember what your first uh, winemaking job was when you were actually, you know, kind of, yeah, I've got to make this stuff now. (laughs) Well, you're called a, you're called a cellar rat. 
actually. And the cellar rat, you know, you've you got this image of a rat running around the sort of corners of the cellar going up and down and every single, you know, avenue which is available. So that's really what we did. We did just absolutely everything. You um, clean the tanks. Clean you. the tanks, cleaning the pipes, uh, you know, uh, washing down the grapes, you know, opening up the, the latch of the back of the tractor in order for the grapes to go into the, the destemmer, et cetera, et cetera. Cleaning the barrels, um, yeah, cleaning out the tanks, et cetera, everything. Wow. So, yeah, and, and we, by the way, just, we call it cellar rat here too, but. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you really started at the bottom. Oh, absolutely. D- yeah. Despite your pedigree and, you know, because. Again, you come from a very famous family, and you are a, a cellar rat. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And nobody cared, right? Nobody cared oh, no. that you were Robert Eden. No, no, no. Didn't didn't care at all. No, didn't mean anything. <laughs> what was okay. what was the first wine you made? Uh, the first one was Rothbury Estate. Um, so it was a Rothbury Estate Chardonnay um, with a with a very great winemaker called David Lowe, who is still out there in Australia making great wines. And how did it turn out? Your wine. Uh, oh, of course, delicious. <laughs> what a question. Yeah, what, yeah, <laughs> I thought it did anyway. And then at some point, you left Australia and went back to Europe, but not back to England. No, that's right. I went to, first of all, I went to Italy and uh, uh, landed a job at a great estate called Castella di Rampola in Tuscany, where it was really, really very interesting coming from Australia, which was a super sort of industrialized, as it were, mechanical grape uh, farming unit to sort of, uh, you know, local, uh, uh, small mechanical uh, uh, Italian farm units. So it was very interesting to make the comparison between the two. And how long did you stay there? I stood, uh, stayed in, in Tuscany for a year, did a whole, a whole season in Tuscany, a whole year in Tuscany before going on to, to Burgundy. Burgundy? Yeah. Okay, so now we're we're going we're headed from Italy to France. Yeah, a lot of people consider Burgundy, Burgundy sort of the epicenter. Yeah, of well, definitely of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Yeah, uh, and what were you doing in Burgundy? I, I was um, working for predominantly for a broker who was, uh, had a number of different uh, um, domains uh, on her book as a as a as a selection. And um, I would go around actually taking uh, American buyers to the French cellars and translating for them and allowing them to taste for wines in the cellars. So you, you weren't making wine at that point? No, in, I wasn't. I was in m- Burgundy. Yeah, I was more. Uh, it, we did do stints of, of, of winemaking during the harvest period, but, but mainly going around the different cellars. It very interesting. It was more, more a tasting thing. That, that's really where you start to understand things because Pinot Noir. Is this is the as you said is the major red variety in Burgundy, and yet every single village and even in uh, the villages themselves, the the Pinot Noir is different from one winemaker to the next. And I will and, say the one thing about Burgundy is, until you are are there, it's really hard to get your head around it. Personally, oh yeah. I yeah. think. Oh yeah, no. Well, right. well you, you you got a village called Volnay, and you got in that village called Volnay, Mister Rossignol, and you got Mister Pierre Rossignol and Mister Philippe Rossignol, and they both make Volnay in the vineyard called uh, uh, Claude de Chêne, right? Mm. Which is the name name of the vineyard, and so they're both domain P Rossignol because there's P for Philippe and P for Pierre, right? And they're actually cousins. And their vines lie one next door to each other, right? In the same vineyard, in the same village with the same variety, but they're two different wines. Like when you taste them side by side, you know they're different wines? Yeah, yeah. What about any other place in the wine-growing world? Have you been to 
yeah. you know, just spend any time in America, just spend any time, you know. I visited other wine areas, obviously Bordeaux, Champagne, and uh, and also was very fortunate to travel around Spain at a young age um, and tasting wines right the way around Spain. So I had a lo- lot of chance of visiting different regions in the world, yeah. What took you to the south of France? Uh, the beauty of the place. I was I was actually there uh, uh, finding uh, um, some Chardonnay for for an American buyer at the at the time, and I went down there, and it was so astonishingly beautiful that I actually called up my boss and I said, "My car's broken down. <laughs> you know, can I can I can I take some time off?" And I just you know travelled around the area for three or four days, and I found it was so beautiful. I said, "Well, this is where I actually want to come and buy my own vineyard and make my own wine." And that was in. 1984, I yeah. think I read. Yeah, right Right in the beginning was 84, yeah. Yeah, so you had discovered it, but it took you 10 years until you actually got a chance to go back and yeah. start your own project. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah. 1994. Yeah, 1994, we started to actually find a permanent place there and, and was really serious about getting it together. And we actually bought Chateau Maris with, with my partner, Kevin, in 1997. And tell me about Chateau Maris now, because... This is where the story really gets interesting, because you have literally become uh, what I would say a champion of the ecology of the earth, of the environment. You have gone, and, and, and not just a champion, an early adopter of amazingly sustainable farming practices. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I'm kind of curious. I mean, I want to find out. I'm eventually going to ask you how this passion got started, but please tell me, take me through now. It's 1997. You've got Chateau Maris. Yeah. And, and take me through the whole process. Tasting, tasting along with Kevin Parker, my, my, my partner, we were, we were tasting literally hundreds of wines from around uh, the Languedoc in order to decide which terroir we wanted to actually purchase a vineyard in. And it just came back again and again and again that there was this uh, village called La Livinière, which actually means the the place from where wine comes from in Roman terms. And we just kept on coming back to this this village, and then we liked the wines which came from this village. And so eventually we called up several different real estate brokers and, and one of them said, yes, there's a, there's a great domain there which uh, which nobody wants because it's a village domain. It, it, it's not a beautiful chateau with a, you know, a lake and vineyards around it and all that kind of stuff. It was a, it was a village domain. So the vineyards itself were dotted around the, dotted around the village and, and there was a village house. And so we said, "Great, let's go and let's go and have a look." And and uh, we we liked the thing, and uh, we said, "Yep, let's 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 buy Chateau Maris." So it's one thing buying Chateau Maris; it's another thing to actually rehabilitate a vineyard yep. into a a first of all maybe into an organic vineyard and then into a biodynamic vineyard. I mean, hmm. you know, I, I got to believe back in what, what did we say, ninety seven? Ninety seven. Yeah, yeah, people were using fertilizers and and chemicals oh, yeah. and pesticides, and hmm. we didn't understand really uh, what we were doing. To hmm. you know, we were we were looking for crop yield. Yeah. Right. And uh, so, tell me how you became so passionate about uh, organic farming and biodynamic farming. And, and by the way, I think at some point we actually need to explain what organic and biodynamic farming is because you know, right. people listening may, you know, there are words that we throw around, but people may not actually know what's involved in that. Yeah. I mean, it came through necessity because uh, in 1997, when we purchased Chateau Maris, it was in, is in April. And then the harvest happens in September. And I went around tasting the grapes in, in, in September. 
And in fact, 1997 was a very bad vintage. I was tasting the grapes and I just said, gosh, these grapes really don't taste nice, you know, terrible. Anyway, 1998 comes along and it's an absolutely beautiful vintage. And I went around tasting the grapes before the harvest and, and they still didn't taste nice. And I said, oh my gosh, something's wrong here. What's going wrong? Anyway, I started investigating further, asking around, a lot of help, etc. And somebody says, well, the actual fact is, is your soil is very sick. Uh, your soil is very unhealthy. Your soil is, in fact, dead, and your vines are sick. So there it was. I thought I'd make this great purchase, and I had a whole load of sick vines in dead soil. And that's a, a scenario for two things. Either you face up to it and you, you, you try and work it out, and, you know, how, how do I make turn this thing around? Or you go back with your tail between your legs. And so I started asking around what, what, what's possible, and it's then that I discovered that, that soil is one of the – the earth is, is, is one of the, the only thing probably in, in life that we can actually bring back to life from the dead. And, uh, uh, and I said, well, how do you do this? Oh, well, you use live matter. You use uh, you lose manure in particular, you know, animal manure. I said, okay, how do we do that? Well, you make compost, okay, right. So I started purchasing tons and tons of manure. So there I was, an Englishman, just arrived in this poor French village, and I started piling up uh, tons of uh, shit, shall we say, Uh, uh, um, on the outside of the village. So I was a very popular, very popular person. Uh, uh, God, he smelled that Englishman, yeah. Uh, And that's a great French joke. Anyway, so um, so it's doing this, but I really didn't know that, that compost making was an art. And then somebody told me, well, have you actually um, uh, investigated the biodynamic method of, of compost making? So I said, what is that? I said, well, you should, you should ask such and such. And anyway, so I, I, I got introduced to this person who, who, um, who, who showed me the way to make biodynamic compost. Um, and we, 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 we did this, which is a, a, a adding preparations to a pile of manure, adding specific plant-based preparations to a pile of manure um, um, before it starts its fermentation process. And we did that and we tested the results against a pile of manure compost, which we didn't add the preparations to. And three years in a row, the pile that we did add the preparations to actually uh, um, produced a much better fertilizer. And so, so, wow, this is a very interesting <laughs> phenomenon, this biodynamic method. If it can turn a pile of manure into a very potent fertilizer, right. you know, we should learn more about this method. So you, you, did, you were able to bring your vineyard back to life yep. through these, these biodynamic composts. Yep. And then did you continue on with the, this biodynamic theory because there, there's more to bionam- to, yeah. to the biodynamic farming theory than than just the compost right yeah. there's you know the cycles of the moon and yeah. and the cow horns yeah. and right so well, the, the, the the compost brings the soil back to life right and we sometimes forget that 50% of the plant in this case the vine actually grows below ground and so it's quite an important component the soil and so by bringing it back to life you actually rejuvenate health back into the plant and then th- that's what really got me interested in so how could we then continue to apply this method to the plant uh, uh, to stimulate it even further and what would that do to the grapes and what would that do to the taste of the grapes and then effectively, yes, you learn that the, the biodynamic method is, is all about respecting life. It's all about respecting all live matter which is around you. So, so it's, it doesn't treat 
the vine or it doesn't treat the field uh, as an isolated uh, item. It is a part of a whole. Okay. And so it's... it's Symbiotic? It's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it's what, what else is affecting that field? What else is affecting uh, the, the plant which is growing in that field? And then, well... Actually, everything, you know, the local ecosystem, right. but, but also what's happening within the universe. Uh, you know, the, the, the lunar cycle does have a, a certain force on Earth. Planetary movements do uh, encourage a certain activity on Earth. And life is extremely sensitive. And, and all living organisms are linked to that sensitivity. And our job is to respect that sensitivity and our job is to work with that sensitivity, therefore in enhancing the life of the vines which we live off. So you're, you're growing it in harmony. It's, it sounds very poetic. It is a, it's a very real harmony. It's a very real understanding, once again, of this sensitivity. A plant, we know more and more today that plants have a great deal of sensitivity, uh, the same as we do, if not even more so than we do. And all other living organisms around it, whether it be microorganisms within the soil, the soil right? yeah, yeah. they all have great sensitivity as well. And it's all connected with all forms of life. So I'm curious, at what point did you... Okay, so 1998, great vintage. And you, you Awful really, grapes. <laughs> you, know, you weren't impressed with your grapes. No. What was the first vintage where you popped a grape in your mouth and went, oh, that's it? We did it. I like 2001. We were blessed with a, a very, very perfect climatic conditions. But to be honest with you, when I said we did it was 2007. Okay. That was the point where you really put something in your mouth and went, there we go. Yeah. There the balance was everywhere. Wonderful. Now, mm. how, many, uh, how many acres... I guess you think in hectares? We think in hectares. Of 50 acres, about 125. Uh, 50 hectares, about 125 acres. About 125 acres. Yeah. Uh, are you farming the entire 125 biodynamic or is any of it organic? No, it's all biodynamic. It's all biodynamic. And what is the difference between organic and biodynamic? Quite simply put is that the biodynamic really is working. Uh, it's a more holistic form of organics. So it's working, whereas, whereas organics, if you like, you can use a lot of dead matter. You can work at it simply like a nine-to-five job, whereas biodynamics really is not a nine-to-five job. It considers too many other things which are outside the, the nine-to-five gap. You certainly have a passion for this, uh, and I can tell. And by the way, I don't know if you recall this, but you and I had the pleasure of having dinner together several months ago. Yeah. And I said to you, I said, I just ran into someone who asked me if this wine was vegan. And I just assumed that all wine is vegan because it's made from grapes. But you said, no, there's actually, there is a little bit of a difference yeah. uh, um, about what a vegan wine is. Yeah, you can, you, you, in, in wine, there are different filtration methods for those that use um, filtering. Some of those filtration methods use animal products. Right. Uh, egg whites, uh, for example. Egg whites is, is, is one of them. Uh, uh, gelatin from, from fish gelatin or, right. or, or even other animal gelatines as well, which are used. But um, at Chatamaris, we don't use any animal products. So all, our, all our wine is vegan. Do you filter your wine or is it just racked? So, some, of it is, uh, some of our white wines are filtered, yeah. Okay. And some of our red wines as well. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the hemp cellar. <laughs> yeah. the, is it the winery? Yes, it's the winery. This yes. is fascinating. 
that's because we were we're working in this, in this fanatical way almost in the vineyards. We're really respecting our plants. We're really respecting the the soil in which they grow. We're respecting the the local ecosystem which surrounds them. Um, we're very in tune with what's going on there. If afterwards we harvest that and we bring it into a, um, a building with neon lights, let's say, in a, a building with, which doesn't take into consideration what we're doing in, in the field, it didn't make any sense to me. So I had to build a, a space, a building, which actually respected what we were doing in the field. Had to build a, a, a neutral energy space as well, not a space which, uh, because remember, the fruit is full of energy, and right. so you got to you got to be you got to be linked to that, and you got to understand that you don't want that energy be to be conducted in in any old way. Right, um, not back into the environment. You want to be well. For we throw this term around here, carbon neutral. Yeah, but you're you want to be environmentally neutral. Yes, that uh, that that's right. The whole the whole point was to continue the respect for the environment as we, as we're doing it, and so I wanted to build a, a vegetable building. And uh, we found that that, that actually um, uh, we could make these hemp bricks out of uh, hemp and lime, and then we we got a molasses-based fixer, and then we put it through a mold to make a brick, and and then we leave we left a space in the brick to drop down wooden support systems, and we built uh, two walls close to each other, um, so we had this air duct in the middle, which allowed us to avoid to use any um, air conditioning units okay. inside the cellar. It's a great insulator. Yeah, it's a, it, it actually breathes, so it exchanges, um, hemp hemp exchanges, so it takes in the heat and releases the cool, and that's the beauty of it. It's completely living building, it's completely continually ever-evolving building. I hope nobody's tried to come up to your building and lick it. <laughs> no, no, they don't, they don't, they don't lick it, but they do, they do touch it a lot, they do smell it a lot, because as soon as you tell somebody, look, this building's made out of hemp, it's amazing how many people go up and sniff it. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Doesn't smell and no, you can't smoke it. <laughs> it doesn't burn either. Oh, but it is a it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful neutral space. It's a wonderful space to be in. It's got a great environment inside. It's got a great air quality inside, and especially in the barrel cellar where where we have wood. None of the air conditioning. There's as there's no air conditioning, the wood doesn't dry out. So the relationship between the liquid within the barrel is different. Oh, wow. when, when the wood dries out, you see the, the, the wood pumps the wine, and then you have to have somebody going around filling it up the barrel again right. to avoid oxidation. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting building. The one last thing on the, on the hemp. Yes. <laughs> it, it, so winemaking throws off a lot of CO2. Yeah. And I understand the hemp is actually helpful in this way. Yeah, it's part of the lime, what is called carbonating. So there's a lot of theories around this, but lime, in, in the process, the, the, the breakdown of the lime, actually within the brick, when it breathes in the CO2, it actually re-hardens again, reconnects again. And that's its, that's its way of consuming CO2, because it's carbonating. Well, I have to say that you are very dedicated to this, and I'm very grateful. And I want to know if I'm going to be able to taste that in the wine. So we are now coming up to that portion of our interview where we actually get to taste the wines. We have in front of us two biodynamic. They're both biodynamic? Well, or? actually, one's biodynamic and okay. one's organic. The Maris, okay. the Maris Zulu is uh, an organic uh, wine because it's a zero sulfur wine. There's actually no sulfur being added to the Maris Zulu. Wow. Um, okay. And it's made from um, organic grapes. 
and then you have uh, a Robert Eden uh, signature wine, which is uh, 100% uh, Grenache made from biodynamic grapes. So take us through the first one. What are we what are, what are we drinking? This is what it's a it's a Syrah Grenache blend. Okay, um, uh, and as I said, it's it, it's organic grapes which have been uh, uh, fermented without any sulfur added. So it gets it gets harvested in in late late September. Uh, then it gets put through uh, put into put into tank, goes through its fermentation process. Then we we run it, run the juice off the skin, put that into uh, put that into a new tank. And leave it there till late January, early February, when we bottle it. So it's a very, very quick bottling, and with no sulfur added at, at any time uh, during the process. When when you analyze it, has it's showing zero sulfur. Wow. Uh, so what what's the vintage on this? Two thousand and eighteen. Okay. Well, when I was a kid growing up in California, we had wild blackberries that grew along our fence in the backyard. My mom would. Um, make this amazing homemade blackberry it's, jam. It's amazing. Yeah. And smelling this nose takes yeah. me back to my childhood. Yeah. Uh, this is amazing. Yeah, it's delicious, isn't it? It really is. The, <laughs> the the nose is lovely. I mean, I am getting that really vivid blackberry jam yeah. uh, memory. And then in the mouth, mm. it's just elegant. Yeah. Elegant. It's got a lightness to it. It's uh, a, a lightness no without the, to it at all. Voila, and it's it, it it's not dry either, is it? You know, mm. sometimes it's light. It can be dry. This is light and and succulent and juicy. And I love making wines like this because they're so pure as well. They're so 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 very honest. You know, uh, it's it's rare to kind of have a what are we? It's a Grenache and Syrah Grenache. It's, it's Syrah Grenache blend. Yeah, Syrah Grenache blend. It's pretty rare to drink one and not think about food, right? Most of those, yeah. you're going to say, oh, I want lamb or I want, you know, stew. Or, I could just drink this. I, this is... I am. I, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it is delicious. I yeah. noticed our spit cups are dry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, this is a really difficult one to spit. And it, and, and it, and it just, it leaves that, that, that finish, in, as, as you say, in the back of the palate, which, which you, doesn't make you feel like you need to have food. It just makes you want another glass. I do. And tell me this is available in the United States. This is available in the United States, certainly. Uh, I mean, I think in DC through Calvert Woodley and okay. others like that. And I assume uh, retail and on restaurant lists, or yes, yes, okay. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm gonna yeah. look for this one. Yeah, Zulu, Zulu, Zulu. Any story behind the name? Just like the name. <laughs> There's always stories behind. <laughs> Anything you can or will or won't share. <laughs> it's one of those. It's one of those. No, no, no sulfur is is often considered to be. You know, it, it was considered wild fermenting. Maybe some of your listeners will be aware of that. It's all about listening to the land, listening to to what's going on around you, respecting that. It came just it just came as a name. Really, just 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 hit upon it. And the second wine we're going to be trying. Is it's Robert Eden uh, uh, signature? It's a wine from made from grapes uh, grown uh, Chateau Maris. These are eighty-year-old bush vines from Grenache, and this is a two thousand sixteen vintage. Part of it has gone through um, some barrel aging. This is huge amounts of care. This is hand-picked, very precise <laughs> uh, sorting. This is a very precise and closely followed élevage, as we call, you know, aging process. Yeah, this is. I, I made two hundred, two hundred six packs of this wine. Oh, uh-huh. So it's it, it's fairly rare. Two hundred six packs is not a lot. Yeah. And for those who are listening and don't know what bush 
bush trained or head trained. It's and 80 years old, by the way, yeah. just for those listening, 80 years old is really old for a vine. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you can get up to 100, but 80 is is pushing it. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, these these are very low yield. Uh, they're sitting at about uh, two hundred and fifty meters in altitude. Yeah. Uh, beautiful, beautiful hillside. Yeah, wonderful vines, bush vines, which are which are which are therefore not trellised. That they're not. Right. Uh, they, they 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 stand by themselves. It's a lovely field. Backbreaking labor to pick them. To pick yeah, these, the grapes on these. It's, it's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. But it, but it, but it, the, there's something nice. The, the the sort of gnarly, you know, stems which are which are in these bush vines. Really, they're really attractive. They're very personal. They 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 tell you a lot. They talk to you a lot. It's it's a, it's a great place to be. And how much acreage do you have of, of this particular? This, this is this is a, 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 a maximum two and a half acres. So this is a labor of love. Oh yeah, yeah. This is complete. This is complete love. All right. Total love. Now, now I've got to taste it. <laughs> oh, it, it smells. Yeah, great. it's very inviting. I love the I love the the, the bouquet on this. Right. So it, to me, it's leaning more towards the raspberry, the the dark raspberry uh, spectrum for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a little bit of that blackberry peeking through. Different. Uh, different than the Maris in, in that terms, but yeah, it's more it's it's but very it's, aromatic. Yeah, seductive but restrained. I mean, I I, I mm. like it. Mm. I like the way it's seducing me, but it's seducing mm. me in an elegant way. I mean, it's not taking off all its clothes straight mm. away. It's it's mm. just it's just doing it gently. Yeah, I'm just and, getting a little bit of a you know, off the shoulder. Yeah, peak yeah. Now yeah, so <laughs> coming for more, coming for more. No, it's 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 very nice. I like its uh, I like its seductiveness and I like its depth as well. It's not being too simple. It's it's saying there's there's more here than meets the eye you know respect wow. it take a little bit of time and certainly in the bouquet anyway wow that's lovely that is beautiful i'm getting a little bit of violet yeah. in there just kind of it's super seductive you are right you know because yeah. the first sip i take i kind of you know I'm like oh wow that's cool you know, a little bit of wild strawberry in there some kind of like i said the dark raspberry kind of sh- shines through on the front of the palette and then it just seems to uh I don't know how to say this. It just seems to sort of seduce its way towards the back of the tongue. Yeah, it's very soft and tantalizing, um, and, and 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 it it doesn't it doesn't sort of doesn't rip anything apart. It it, it goes through the process very gently. Um, yeah, and is succulent, seductive, slightly voluptuous as right. well. Great fruit. In oh, this. it's delicious. And, delicious. And, but also good acidity because I'm feeling that yeah. that kind of that juiciness in the side of my. In the side of my cheeks. Yeah. Um, does this see any oak? Because I'm not picking up. Yeah. You know, it's 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 very. It does it does see harsh smoke. tannins. It does see some oak, but the, the but but the, the 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 fruit itself is definitely uh, concentrated enough to marry well with the wood, and that's why um, oh. that's why it's still so soft, even though there there is some wood there. And this is 2016. It's a really wonderful vintage. What, what one of those vintages where where I always say. Is, <laughs> The shadow arrived at the right time, you know. Just, right. just sort of, just at, there was just the right amount of sun, and then when it was a little bit too much, whoops! The clouds came over and just blocked out the sun oh. a little bit. And when you need a little bit of rain, there was a little bit of rain. It was 2016 is absolutely perfect. I've been accused on this podcast of geeking out a little bit, but I'm yes. gonna, at, at the risk, I'm yes. going to do it now. Stop the, the phenolic ripeness. Yeah, the phenolic ripeness, yeah. which is another way of saying the the, the grapes, the grapes themselves, the fruit actually ripened all the way through from that's right. berry to seed. That's right. And I can tell tasting this wine that mm. you've got great 
great, mature, perfect ripeness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it shines through in this wine. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's 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 where you can age wines is when they are perfectly ripe. It's like it's the same thing with all fruit. All fruit which is perfectly ripe uh, uh, lasts better <laughs> than you know fruit which is slightly unripe will never be perfect. Fruit which is slightly overripe will never be perfect either. So um, we're very lucky here to to have that, and that's a that's a wine we we actually uh, well we actually tasted it with some friends at uh, at the Total Wine and More Group and. And uh, they decided to take all all the two hundred six packs off us. Oh, at least so, I know where I got to go so and get they, it. There you go. <laughs> They've got it all. Oh, Even no. I have to go there and get oh, it now. No. <laughs> well, speaking of absolute delights, it's been an absolute delight to have you in the studio today. Thank you Thank so you. much for for coming in. Can you just again, just uh, to wrap up, briefly remind our listeners what what are the two wines we tried today? So the first one is a Maris Zulu two thousand and eighteen. Um, no, zero sulfur wine, 100% organic. And the second wine was Robert Eden Signature Grenache uh, Biodynamic. Well, Robert Eden, thank you for joining me. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Vine Guy, a WTOP News podcast. Please follow me on Twitter at The Vine Guy and catch my Wine of the Week segments on Fridays on WTOP and WTOP.com. Sarah Beth Hensley produced this episode. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Until the next episode, do good, drink well.